You're listening to Her Hacks Podcast, a podcast by women in cybersecurity for everyone. I'm Lauren. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Christine. In today's Her Hack, we'll be learning about how to break into a career in cybersecurity with Dr. Yiska Klassen. Yiska is a postdoctoral researcher in the CIMU lab, which is the secure mobile networking lab at TU Darmstadt in Darmstadt, Germany. She has at least 44 publications and presentations with over 500 citations. She's an incredibly talented hardware reverse engineer, and she knows so much about a wide variety of research areas. Her current focus is wireless security, exploitation, and privacy, like one of her latest papers on achieving code execution in a Wi-Fi chip through privilege escalation through a Bluetooth exploit, and also finding zero-click vulnerabilities in the Bluetooth stack. She also has presented at many prestigious conferences like USENIX, DEF CON, RECON, and Hardware.io. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to say hello. I was wondering where you're from in Germany. So I'm uh, living in Darmstadt, that's near Frankfurt. So probably if you ever went by airplane to Europe or something, you might have crossed Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. um, it's a small city, but it has like everything you need. Cool, cool. Did you grow up there? Or are you just no. there now? Yeah, a bit more south I grew up, but yeah, like this region. Uh, so I travel a lot, but I haven't moved a lot for my job so far. So Christine, how did you find out about Yiska? Oh yeah, okay. So the first time I saw slash like heard about Yiska, I was attending the BAR workshop, which is the binary analysis research workshop at NDSS, which is the what does it stand for? Network Distributed Systems Symposium. So the bar workshop is considered, I feel like in the RE community, pretty prestigious to get into. It is workshop papers, but it's on really cutting edge research. And I always am like, oh, it's so hard to get into that. And Yiska presented not one, but two presentations. And I was already excited because I was like, oh, it's another female reverse engineer. Oh my gosh, she's so amazing. She's presenting two different completely different like research areas. And I was like, this is so impressive. So that was my first experience kind of as a fan. And then um, I started doing research on the Furious Mac research team, which does a lot of Apple security, find my air tags, stuff like that. And Yiska's school, I guess, because you're doing your postdoc at T Darmstadt. So as a postdoctoral researcher, you're doing research in that same area. And so it was really cool because we ended up having kind of an overlap in research. So now I guess we're kind of colleagues, but I was like a fangirl before. <laughs> yeah. So the bio workshop, it was really nice. Um, I had two presentations, as Christine already said, and one about those was about something, yeah, like a very old wireless specification. And then I put a lot of dinosaurs, like hand-drawn dino dinosaurs in the whole presentation. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you do your own drawings, right? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of software are you using to do that? Yeah, actually, I just use probably the worst combination ever for drawing, uh, which is uh, on a very old ThinkPad Yoga. And then uh, the program is called Journal. And I just like, yeah, with an X in front, but like Journal, I don't know how to pronounce an X in front of an M. <laughs> oh, it's a tablet. So it's a tablet, a convertible, but yeah, but an old one. And like, I thought about maybe switching to an iPad, but I know that the drawings will look different and then the drawing style will no longer match. So I'm still using this very old setup. No continuity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should hire you to do art for her hacks uh, podcast because we, we love all, we were watching some of your presentations and we were like, oh, we love these little doodles. They're so No, great. it's actually inspiring. I, I think I want to get into doing that myself because when I see presentations and people do their own animations or they do their own like, their own drawings it just it really adds like a personality to what they're doing and it's just it's just really nice to see and so i definitely maybe we'll get some old tablet or something and try it out you guys see what you guys think yeah i would support you doing drawings all right so now we want to kind of get into your background and what got you into cybersecurity. so iska how did you get into cybersecurity? so uh i like to always understand how things work so i don't know i tried to build my own website and stuff quite early and then the father of a friend of mine just said like maybe you should go to the linux user group uh that was in my city and then i went there i was like 13 years old and you know everyone else was like at least a student way older than me but they were sure. really really kind and and showed me a lot of things and 
then a bit later, like two years later, it was the first time that I uh, went to the Chaos Communication Congress in Berlin. Like that's a big uh, hacker meetup, so to say, so the German hacker community. Back then it was like maybe 2000 people. So it was not as huge as it is, as it is like these days, but it was very nice. Um, and I think this this kind of community is just, it's, it's cool. So in the beginning I was like, oh no, there's many people, I don't know them, but uh, they were so nice. And as long as you're like having the attitude that you say, I want to learn something, please show me what you're working on. And you're not yeah, too annoying to people, but like more interested, they will really explain things to you. Uh, so that was very nice. No, that is really nice. I, I don't know if I had like a similar experience when I started first to get into like cybersecurity. Because I remember walking in like into the room and it's like very yeah. male dominated. And I, I just remember feeling really out of place. Did you did you experience yeah, that too? Yeah, also a bit in the beginning. But uh, then again, the people were so nice uh, that it didn't matter that much. But yeah, yeah it's it's definitely a bit weird. Also for me, not just the, the gender, but also the age difference. But oh, I, sure. I think yeah. like... Probably back in those days, even the age difference was like even worse, maybe. I, I Yeah. So I was just kind of curious. This is a question probably for all three of uh, Rebecca, Christine, and you, Yiska, is what are the, like, the differences between the American hacker culture and the German hacker culture? As somebody who hasn't really been plugged into either side of those, because um, it sounds like the German hacker community is like a very welcoming place and I mean it was something where you could go in at 13 and um you know go in and be a part of so I was just kind of curious like how that compares to the American experience I think there's some similarities hearing about the chaos computer club oh that's kind of like defcon because I think it originally started as like a very small conference yeah it did and then I guess as Iska said the chaos computer club has really grown um but it seems like when when you went to join, it was super welcoming. And I don't think the American community was as welcoming. I think DEF CON's definitely gotten better and they've made huge strides, especially they've publicly banned people. Like, I don't know. I just, there's so much history of like really terrible misconduct there that I, I feel like it's it was not you welcoming. Know, I kind of agree. And I'm actually curious, Nisko, how you feel about this. In American hacker culture, I feel like there's this, like you really have to, prove yourself to people for them to kind of get your respect it's like you know what are you publishing are you giving conference talks because people want to like see what you can do and mm -hmm. kind of challenge you on what you know is that similar would you say in like the german hacker culture or is it not really like a separation between american and german it's kind of all just like a hacker it culture depends. uh i so i heard of others that they had like such problems but i think because i started at such a young age nobody expected me uh to to know things um so that's yeah. probably one thing. And also there's uh, some a concept that's called a hackerspace that's um, a bit away from this. So there's the KS Computer Club, which has local meetups and they are very much about like hacking things or yeah, very, very techy. And then there's hackerspaces, which is not necessarily the same as CCC. It can also have an overlap, uh, but in the hackerspace, it's closer to a makerspace. So people are also building things and yeah, just having fun. I don't know, uh, sewing, making a t-shirt, printing something on a t-shirt, embroidery, I don't know what. Uh, and of course also some electrical engineering people. And at least those places tend to have a lot of events where you can also just come if you have never been there and learned something. Um, also, I think Meanwhile, the, the CCC meetups also got a bit more open and have more events to invite people and, yeah, just have a talk or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some people that tell you, like, you have to know how to hack this and that to, to get in. Just just try, just go there. I mean, if there's, like, one person that's, that's not nice to you, probably the others are. Uh, so, yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, I feel like in, in the American hacker community, I don't know. They're always like POC or GTFO Ooh. and it can be. Oh, my God. That happened to Christine and I. Oh, right? yeah. In our presentation. When we gave our fire talk. Yeah. And I was like, this is a 15 minute talk, buddy. If you want a POC, like give us a, a full hour. And I'm assuming by POC, you mean proof of concept? 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just just double checking. There's this book that they publish every year, or not every year, but there's like a couple series of it, and maybe they publish addendums every year, and it's proof of concepts of different things. But I feel like sometimes it can be really hard to get into. I actually did have really nice coworkers when I started playing CTF, but DEFCON CTF as an experience from like when it started versus when it actually was when I did it was so different. I don't know if you've heard, we talked about this on another podcast episode interview where in socks, they would have pornography playing and it was really graphic. So it was a terrible working environment for women. And they actually used to do that during DEF CON CTF as well as a way to like distract the players. And Mm -hmm. so as a woman, like you wouldn't even want to play because you're like, this is disgusting. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be here. Um, so they don't do that anymore. It really was like dependent on who was running it that would that would do that. And yeah. this year, I don't know because I haven't really known a lot of the people running it like in the past, but I know this year it's at least one woman on the team actually running <laughs> the CTF for DEFCON. But at least the year that I played in 2017, the lights were on <laughs> and there was no like weird videos. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's definitely gotten better, but I feel like it didn't start that way. I don't think it started that way. And do you think that's because the community has grown and like they've kind of realized as they've taken in more people and they have more diverse perspectives, it's like, okay, this behavior isn't good? Or do you think that it may be because of another reason? I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of women have been lobbying against that stuff. Like I think also at DEF CON, maybe it was Black Hat, I don't remember. They have booth babes, which were like yep. scantily clad women because it's at this conference in Vegas. And so they'd have scantily clad women to help sell vendor products. I, I think that was definitely a black hat yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a Vegas thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Vegas thing, yeah. Yeah, and, and women going there were like, this is stupid. Why are you putting women in a box like this? This is bad for us that this is happening. So they don't do that anymore. Now people wear real clothes when they're there but sure (laughs) (laughs) well inside inside the conference center not outside right 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 that's interesting i think like i think ccc is really much further at this and what started over the recent years is that it even got family friendly so they have places to bring your kids and really have a program for kids and families wow and you could also bring your partner even if they are not so much into computers and they would have to do something Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's awesome. It seems like the, the German community is, is way better. You know, that's actually something else that I've kind of noticed. And maybe the German hacker community is just more friendly because they all have other interests outside of computers. Like you also cook and you also do embroidery and like you also do this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Also regarding Vegas, I think you wouldn't bring your kids and family to Vegas and you also wouldn't like leave your leave your child like unattended with four other children and tell another parent that you don't really know much. Like, can you please just, I don't know, mm-hmm. look after my child while I go to the toilet or something. Like, <laughs> not even that in Vegas. Yeah. People do bring their kids to DEF CON and I'm like, I don't have a problem with bringing your kid to DEF CON, but I don't think I would want to bring my kid to Vegas because mm-hmm. I don't even like going to Vegas. So yeah. I yeah. would not. And some people might disagree, but. I don't think that's a great family vacation. Yeah, it's not so much DEFCON itself. It's that it's in Vegas. Yeah. That is, doesn't seem... They try to sell like Def, like Vegas like it is family friendly, but yeah. I don't know. I just don't like it there. It's just, yeah. It's not my, my favorite venue, I would say. I love... I like Recon so much better. Montreal's... Montreal, Montreal is beautiful. Yeah. Way better city. So... Uh, Yiska, now that we know a little bit more about what got you into cybersecurity, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the the work that you're doing now that you're in this field. Yeah. Uh, I'm working as a postdoctoral researcher at TU Darmstadt, so that's a university. And what I do is mostly working on stuff that's wireless and mobile and related to security or privacy. So... Initially, I did a lot of stuff with Bluetooth firmware, and now I'm also looking a bit up in the stack, like, I don't know, uh, higher levels, like the Bluetooth daemon, but also protocols, then building on top of this. Like, one of the reasons why I really like to 
state university and i mean that's a decision right if i would go to industry i would get more money um mm -hmm. and like probably also better work conditions i don't know but at university the thing is i can pretty much choose what i want to do i mean there's of course some limitations but uh, i'm very free in choosing what i want to research and i can also publish things so i think it's only worth it or to stay in academia is only worth it if you manage to build some tools mm -hmm. either open sourcing something that you can use for exploitation but also if you open source something that's a bit more meaningful yeah. than just like a single exploit right and to also maybe build something that helps a community of, of hackers like that other people can also do the same type of research or that even maybe people like i don't know my neighbor who is not much into computers she would probably even understand a bit of the stuff that i'm doing at least on, on a high level impact so that's what i try to do i mean of course sometimes it's like highly technical and hard to understand uh, but that's my my main motivation currently to stay in academia that's awesome. Uh, can I ask what project that you've worked on that you're the most proud of or what you find the most interesting? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been looking a lot into Bluetooth firmware, but then again, it's like if you did something for too long, it gets a bit boring. So maybe it's the one that I should be proud of. But then again, it's like, <laughs> OK, but <laughs> I don't know. At least it's magic. Yes, mystery. yes, it's 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 mystery. Uh, then again, um, something that I didn't build on my own, but I really like to to use Frida and also like explain people how stuff works. So even if it's not something that I did build on my own as a framework, uh, just explaining people and also the the teaching part of academia, I like it a lot. And I even put some of the stuff that I I did on uh, youtube for example and i plan to do a bit more of putting some of yeah just lecture style stuff on on youtube yeah that, i love when you give presentations i'm like it's just so great like you're so good at explaining things and like you really take your time doing it so i love whenever you like post something on twitter or post something on youtube I actually, I learned from you recently because I was trying to prepare for this podcast by looking at some of your most recent presentations. And so something that's been happening in my apartment lately is my neighbor keeps casting to my TV soundbar. And so if I don't have my soundbar off, it's just like this like random video sound oh, no. will just start blasting. And it happened at like 1.30 a.m. And I was so mad. Oh. And it like woke up my dog, woke up me. And I was like, what the heck is so stupid? And so then when I was reading your uh, Happy Machine in the Middle paper, I was that's when I was reading your explanation of mm -hmm. the JustWorks protocol. And I was like, oh, that's why they're able to do this. Because I also have like a bunch of phones. So I like took, I like factory reset, like some Android phones and iPhones. And I was like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I can just pair to this. Like I, there's no authentication. It's just like click. Now I know why it's doing that because of this freaking just works thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's very frustrating. And I was like, hmm, now I'm going <laughs> to machine in the middle it so I can figure out which of my neighbors is hacking my sound. Yeah, I mean, not even hacking. It's just she, she didn't know and just buried to a nearby I was, I was actually about to say that. Is, is, is it really hacking, Christine, or is it working as intended? <laughs> This is one of those situations where I'm taking something personally that I shouldn't, and they're always clicking on something that's clearly not playing in their apartment. Maybe they have like the same soundbar even, and like, or it's a 50-50 chance if Bluetooth works or not. Actually, um, so this is kind of, it's, it's off topic on topic. So I was recently, I had to build a dresser. I like to build like Ikea furniture. They're like 3D puzzles. I, I really enjoy doing something other than sitting at my computer. I know who I'm calling. I told you I'm redoing Anytime. my office. So. Anytime. I love you. <laughs> I will build your desk. But <laughs> so while I was doing it, a random thing started playing on YouTube for me. And it was a history of Vikings. And it, they, they said like a fun fact that the Bluetooth logo is actually an old Norse rune, mm -hmm. a bind rune of two different runes. Is that something that you were familiar with? Yeah, I was familiar with, but I learned about it like much later. I don't know. It's. I think if you if you read the yeah if you read the Wikipedia article, it's like immediately there. Uh, but I don't know. Have you read the Wikipedia article about the main topic you're working on? 
It's so weird. When you look at it, like, yeah, it makes sense that it looks like some old Norse rune. So it's really, that's, that's really a really cool yeah. design choice, I thought. I didn't know that. I did notice before you blurred your background, <laughs> I saw on your shelf you had a little Bluetooth logo. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, uh, that's yeah, why yeah. I thought to bring it up. I was like, oh. Yeah, when we were in Google Meet, I was like, oh, that's so cool. You have so much cool stuff in your background, mm-hmm. not like t-shirts on hangers. Well, you're in your closet, to be fair. <laughs> and whose yeah. closet looks immaculate? My boyfriend's really organized. I'm not. <laughs> Is there any other work that you want to highlight if you wanted to talk about your internal blue work or maybe emulating the Bluetooth firmware with Frankenstein or if you want to talk about something AirTag related? Um, really, honestly, we were like, mm-hmm. we should give you a platform to talk about whatever you want to talk about because you're such a prolific author and I've always been so impressed by like the breadth of projects you work on. But then it's not just like you talk about so many different things. You know everything at such a deep level. And I want to get to that level one day. <laughs> so, yeah, if you just want to talk about, like, any of your projects, I think that would be great. But I think, like, sometimes it just looks like I'm an expert on everything. Like, for example, the AirTag paper. So we even got the paper accepted at Wood. And we also have a talk uh, at Hardware I.O. about this. And we were actually multiple people doing this. So... I think initially Colin O'Flynn, he just uh, dumped the spy flash on the air tag and then uh, this motivated stack smashing to uh, glitch the air tag firmware on the NRF. And this again, like, I think my motivation was more that there's a U1 chip on it. And I also instrumented some stuff with Frida over the air. Uh, and then uh, there's Fabian, who did a lot of instrumentation of the, uh, or not instrumentation, but like he analyzed the firmware statically and I did instrumentation so that we could check, for example, I sent a command to the AirTag to play a sound on it. And he worked out like what the handler does internally so that we could play custom sounds. And in the end, of course, it looks like I know everything, but I didn't do everything. So it's like a joint knowledge in this project and everyone has a special task in there and you don't have to know or to do everything so if you have good people to work with uh, then you don't have to be an expert or like at least only on your topic I don't know (laughs) I feel like that's such good advice I think that's like a great lead-in to our next topic because I I love that no definitely and I I always hear like whenever I idolize someone and then I feel like whenever you ask them like oh how are you such an expert they say oh you know I I'm not I worked in a team of people and we all collaborated together I always feel like that's the answer so it's it's such a collaboration I feel like it's also like a more feminine trait like some guys are like, yeah, I did it all. <laughs> Not to say that's like more feminine, but like I feel well, I feel like because I was reading that book, Brag Better, and the idea that, and maybe this is a, a overgeneralization, but like I feel like women tend to attribute success to like their team and not just themselves, and like they also look for those communities. I agree. There's a guy in my old job that like you'd be on a team, but mm-hmm. like he did it. He even would take credit for other people's completely different projects in his presentations that one guy was just like really self-serving and like to take credit for everything i think hopefully that's not the norm and that guy's like the exception to the rule but i feel like as the exception to the rule even though i don't even work with him anymore like (laughs) i always think about it and i'm like what a joke yeah maybe (laughs) maybe feminine characteristic was not the right way to say that but i feel like i hear that from a lot of really successful women and it's encouraging of like one being able to find a community in what i feel like is a more male dominated industry are there any other women in the postdoctoral simu team or are you the only woman that works there so we have multiple women but uh, i think so we have one who works a bit more towards machine learning privacy stuff and another one she's more on wireless performance so not exactly my topic, uh, but at least more people in our wireless team. And I think that matters a lot. So if even if it's uh, like not people who are like uh, exactly your topic, but at least having a team that's a bit more diverse really helps. We also have people from different countries, etc. Uh, and if you're not like the only woman and you don't have to show like I can do stuff even though I'm a woman or something, but if it's just a bit more normal and there's 
multiple that helps so you don't have to become friend with all the other female researchers in your yeah. team i don't know that's sometimes always uh, i i heard like i don't know I, I don't know how it is elsewhere but like that people expect you to become friends because there's oh there's finally another woman or something but i feel it's more like uh the overall atmosphere if there's more women uh and uh yeah i don't know uh it's that's probably the, the main thing there. I visited also a few teams abroad and I, I really feel like being the first women they have to work with or like the only women they have to work with versus there's just a team and there's a few women. Uh, it's not a 50% women quota, but it's like at least more than one really matters. And would you say that like academia, is there a sense of competition? Because I feel like when you're working in a lab and a team, you're trying to accomplish a goal, but is there competition to get your name as like the primary author on a paper or is it more of a collaborative environment because you guys are working together towards research and toward discovery? Cause I feel like industry can be very competitive because it's very less team focused sometimes because it's like, oh, I want to get the promotion. I want to grow my like single career and so I'm just curious your thoughts on that. That really depends on where you are in your mm. career, I think. So, I mean, if you want to do a PhD, then you need, depending on where you do it, but you need some publications and mm -hmm. you should be first, or there's also concept of co-first author, like that two authors contributed similarly. Um, and that can definitely lead to competition mm -hmm. in a negative way. But it depends. So I, I really had good experience with working in teams. Also, mm -hmm. if you if you know you're like three people, all of you want to get a PhD, you're working in a similar topic area, but you have sufficient stuff to do to publish three papers, then you can just rotate first authors and yeah. work together. So you have like always one person who is responsible for everything and assigns tasks and so on, but you will have like co-authors who read through the paper, polish the figures, maybe make an experiment for you and so on. And I feel if you manage to do this, so if you manage to work as a team um, and then you will get more publications, not all of them as a first author, but sufficient to like have a number of publications for your PhD. So uh, that, that works, but you should be aware of this. So it's yeah. not really a promotion, but it's a, getting your PhD passed. Yeah, that's a really collaborative, maybe because it's a German university that's like that, because, well, I guess I can't really speak to an American university like that because I never, I didn't get a PhD, but I did work in academia, but as a researcher. And I remember in our department, because it was, I guess, like more promotion focused, they weren't really interested in publishing enough papers for everybody to be a first author. So there was this one time where two people had really contributed equally, and I think they probably could have been like co-first authors. They were arguing over whose name would be first, and the department manager decided who was going to be first author, and he basically picked his favorite person instead of the person who like it would have better benefited because the other person was like oh this is you know one of my first publications here like I'd like to be first author I wrote a bunch of code like I did all this stuff and the other person had already had a bunch of first authorships mm -hmm. before and they were already in a PhD program so they like didn't they didn't need it as much as the other person and yeah just created kind of like drama but like they could have just written a second paper and kind of agreed put in a little bit more work and try to write another paper <laughs> and then they could have both gotten it so I love the collaboration aspect that your team has where it's kind of like for the benefit of everybody instead of like gotta figure out who's gonna get it and yeah but as you said it also depends a lot on on the team leader uh because uh if it's not clear how you get your PhD or like if it's you have to be first author very fast and don't care about the others then this is creating an atmosphere as you were describing it uh, and I think it it's not necessarily like Germany versus US thing but it's more about who is the team lead and how do they act because I know of other teams where such things happened also in Germany so I think that can happen and uh, you just 
should talk about such things also early enough because if you already invested like so much time that you should be first author and then someone tells you you cannot be first author because i also need a first author publication or something like that then it's already too late and probably like half a year or a year of work too late yeah so we're getting to the end here. Before we go, I want to kind of talk about and give some advice to our listeners on how to get into cybersecurity. So something that was really helpful for me and also really important to the start of this podcast and how I met Christine was the Black Hoodie community. And I actually attended Black Hoodie back in 2018 in Berlin, and it was my first time actually traveling to Europe. So it was a really exciting experience, and I, I loved Berlin. And it was at the, I think, the HERE building or the HERE. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, Yiska. No. I think not. Yeah. But I was curious if you had any advice on, you know, what you wish you would have known maybe as you were getting started. Yeah. I think for me, that has been way too much in, in the past. So it's more like advice that I would give people rather than what got me started. Yeah. Uh, I also attended one Black Hoodie event at Troopers, I think in 2019, and they are really awesome. So if, nice. you, if you have a chance to do that, uh, try it. Also, yeah, don't don't be shy. <laughs> that's maybe, I don't know, that's hard because it's uh, like sometimes you think like, oh, but I shouldn't like ask this person or I don't know what, but uh, it really helps just to interact with people and maybe just, yeah, going to a conference or so. Sometimes you might feel a bit lost, but I think everyone does. Um, I, I think in the US, it's way more common to have something like mentorship that's not so common in Europe. Uh, but oh. yeah, but actually we have pretty good mentoring programs and not many people are using them. So in, in Darmstadt, I can actually uh, take female students to conferences or they can join me. So uh, and, and the university pays that. So if there's good students, they can just travel anywhere. And most of them, they are just not aware of this program. So uh, maybe just looking for such programs and then applying it's also a good thing to do. And yeah. yeah. And also maybe don't don't push yourself into something that you don't like. So just try to, to work on something that, that you like and that inspires you. And yeah, sometimes studying computer science is good, but for some people it isn't. And if you just don't feel comfortable, then there's there's not really a point. I mean yeah, I think also career options are pretty good in computer science. So maybe that's something that many are not aware of. It's just like, ooh, it's all the people that, I don't know, play Counter-Strike. They also then study computer science. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, gaming is usually a gateway into, yeah. you know, getting into computer science, I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, what, what you know from, from uh, this, it doesn't help you much uh, when studying. So it's more like if you... If you feel like it's interesting and it's a well-paid job, then you can also do that. Yeah, like like any job, you can just like learn it. <laughs> and, yeah. But you should still have a bit of fun because like yeah. even for for any job, no no matter if it's computer science or something different, you will have to do this for the rest of your life probably. So you shouldn't yeah. hate it too much. Definitely not. Yeah. I mean, would you would you say that I would say I was I'm pretty shy, so it's hard for me to feel like I belong sometimes or to ask questions without looking stupid. I'm not sure, yeah. Christine or Lauren. I don't think Christine, you're very shy, but <laughs> I am incredibly shy, so I relate to that. Like mm -hmm. when you were saying, "Oh, don't just sit there, like ask questions, don't be afraid to go up to people." In my head, even as like an adult, I was like, "Oh, I probably wouldn't do that when I." didn't know anybody or I would find like the one woman in the room right and go up and be like hi because that's just like an easier like more comfortable step for me but whew, going up to strangers asking questions when I don't know what's going on I turn bright red and I uh yeah I get very I get very awkward and that's always when I do the worst is when I just sit there by myself and like silently struggle and don't ask for help something I have to work on for sure but I can tell you it, it doesn't get better like how should I say it like <laughs> uh, right now it's like mm -hmm. people know me and I don't mm -hmm. know them so they start talking to me and I'm like oh mm. did I forget the name was the person talking oh. to me before or not <laughs> oh no or did they just yeah. see my talk yeah. did I forget something urgent mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's just like also a lot of pressure 
and uh, and still like talking to people I don't know feels uh, a bit uncomfortable. So uh, I don't know. I might still be the one other woman in the room who wants to talk to the other woman. So that can still happen, <laughs> yeah. depending on my mood, uh, if and depending on if I had enough coffee or not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think that also kind of kind of footstomps how important just black hoodie mm -hmm. is or doing it's part of their whole philosophy of like why they do women only, because we are more comfortable, you know, sometimes learning with other women um, and asking questions with other women mm -hmm. in general. So I think I think like trying to get into attending a black hoodie conference could definitely um, or training yeah. could definitely be yeah. helpful. It's funny. So I, I think people always think I'm really extroverted and I am an introvert, but I do talk a lot and I'm not like that afraid to talk to people I don't know. But I think it's because growing up, like my sisters were painfully shy. Like they were, you know, exactly as you guys described yourselves. And I was like the spokesperson for us. Like they would be like, Christine answer the phone and like Christine oh, no. like eight, like we'd go to like you know events where we'd have to oh, meet no. adults send this email yeah I'm laughing over here Christine because that's exactly what I made my younger sister do and she'll still bring it up at dinner and be like remember that time when you were like 15 years old and you made me go to the bathroom with you because you were worried you were gonna get lost on the way or like remember the time you made me call and make your haircut and doctor's appointments when you were 20 years old it's like, yep, I had to grow out of that. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's the thing. So I just had, you know, practice makes perfect. And I was just always mm -hmm. forced to do that. And so now I do just like go up to people I don't know and like say things. <laughs> no, you're very, yeah, you're very good at that. I'm always amazed when you do that. I'm like, I want to be, I want to be more like you. So yeah, it's no inhibition. <laughs> In high school, because I was, like, you know, doing, like, kind of STEM stuff, it's like, oh, I have no choice. I have to, like, talk to everybody. So then going to college, there was not a lot of girls in my major. But even though there were, like, a couple, I actually wasn't friends with them. So it's kind of like what Yiska mentioned before. Like, I just... No, same. Right, just because you're the just only girls. You're... Yeah, it's like... Doesn't mean we click. Doesn't mean we're going to be friends. Like, Totally. Right. Like, I'm really good friends with you and we don't work in the same, like, no. department or anything. And, yeah, I just, uh, my, all my friends in my major were, were guys. I was not friends with the other girls. It's just that we were just, like, didn't click or whatever, so. That's what we need more. We need more variety. Yeah, you need more women to pick from. To pick a friend from. <laughs> to pick friends with. <laughs> yeah. Yiska, I actually had a question. So, um, and maybe this... Lauren, I know, was wondering about, like, the university system in Germany in general. But I was wondering, what is your, if you have, like, an undergrad or, like, bachelor's degree or master's degree and then your PhD, what is it actually in and what school did you go to? Like, I have a bachelor's, what do I have, a bachelor's of science in, like, computer engineering, but I'm not totally familiar with the German university system. So I didn't take the the usual path. So maybe that's also interesting, even for if someone in Germany listens to this. So uh, first, uh, I got my Bachelor of Science, uh, Computer Science um, at something, how does it translate? So uh, a dual system where you go three months to university and then three months work for a company, and that's a semester. Um, so. Cool. It's yes and no. So it has advantages and disadvantages. So the cool thing is like you go to a company and ideally if the company is big enough, which it was in my case, you also get interesting tasks um, assigned. If you go to a small company, then maybe not. It just, it, it really depends. So I think mixed experience here, depending on, on which student you ask. Uh, and then um next part is you're getting paid i mean not much but at least something i think in the us you always pay for studying so in, in this case you're you're getting uh paid um and you don't have to worry about this too much which is just nice in addition and you only have courses with something like 30 people so it's a very small group of students more like school a bit but it also means that you have a contract for three years and you have to finish your bachelor in those three years. 
you get automatically registered to all the exams in that time and if they don't find a good lecturer for a specific topic then they just i mean i wouldn't say they take anyone but they might just take someone who says okay i do it for the money and now i teach a bit or so and so not all the courses are uh super good like some of them they even have teachers from university so sometimes you have a very high level of education sometimes uh sometimes not it's just it's it's a bit random and you have to finish the course in that semester which means you also have to write a lot of exams so within one or two weeks you write something like six exams or seven so that's really really a lot so it's like a lot of learning then there is no long pause in between so you just write the exams and then you go to the company and also there i mean you can take a bit of vacation but you have to write a report so not just the bachelor thesis but in between you have to write reports so it's pretty tough i don't know so in hindsight maybe just <laughs> i don't know uh taking some some credit somewhere and like i don't know paying fees back later i, I might also work out because you get more money after studying uh, but yeah that's what i did for my bachelor and i think i learned a lot so definitely but also I learned different things than people that do a bachelor at university. So yeah, it's <laughs> mixed experience. Uh, and then I felt like, okay, maybe um, I just go and, and also get a master because I felt like, I don't know, it's, uh, as I said, like some of the topics did not go so deep, um, like on, on a technical level. And so I went to Darmstadt. So the other one, so the bachelor I did in, in Karlsruhe, that's a bit more south in Germany, but I don't know, maybe one and a half hour car ride from here. So, uh, so and then I did my master in, in Darmstadt and they have an IT security master. So it's really IT security as a master of science program, including some practical labs. I don't know. Like, um and it's very normal in germany you finish your master and only then enter a phd so i think in the us it's a combination yeah you don't have to you don't have to go like get a master's to get a phd in yeah. the us yeah exactly but here you have so you finish your master and i actually wanted to join industry afterwards so that was my original plan because like not having much money i was like okay i should get a real job afterwards um maybe <laughs> yeah so uh and then my boss actually just out of the blue and i didn't even know how it works like offered me a phd position and in in germany um they are paid so you're getting a good amount of money for still technically being a student you don't have to attend courses so you're not getting credit points and stuff you actually already have to do uh, teaching and research but you can still so if you want you can attend courses you just you don't have to and there's also a special program in Darmstadt so you can get like presentation skills and stuff um that's great that's awesome so that's really nice yeah wow that's so cool so American PhDs have to take classes and I think it's yeah. because they don't have master's degrees all the time. So they make everybody take a certain set of mm -hmm. classes. So that makes sense that in Germany, they're like, you have to do a master's first. But then it's nice because you can get all the classes mm -hmm. out of the way and focus on the research. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So cool. Exactly. But not just research, also teaching. So, yeah, it's a bit more, yeah, yeah, more stuff that you have to do somehow. So, but you're also getting paid. So. <laughs> and then as a postdoc, it's like pretty similar you continue teaching a bit more responsibilities on like managing people but yeah <laughs> so um <laughs> so after my master's my original plan was to to go to industry and like get money fast <laughs> or something like this but then my boss or like who is now my boss Matthias Hollick asked me if I would like to do a PhD and in Germany, what I also didn't know back then, because I like I, I wasn't even planning to stay at university, but uh, a PhD in Germany is a paid position. So you're actually getting paid. Uh, you don't have to study, but you can study some stuff and you do a bit of teaching and research and that's what you're getting paid for. And so I decided to do a PhD in the end. 
um, like it's not as well paid as industry, but it's still well paid um, while technically still being a student. So I could attend language courses and I could also, um, I did presentation training. I don't know, like I, I could just learn things and research things, um, but I couldn't do an industry in the same way. That sounds amazing. I want to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, then I stayed a bit longer after my PhD as a, as a postdoc, uh, still doing research. I also do teaching, probably a bit more teaching and a bit more responsibilities than before, but it's pretty much the same, except from like, I don't have to write a PhD thesis anymore. Oh yeah. I, I, um, looked on your bio page and I saw the classes that it looks like you're teaching and I was like, oh, I wish I could take a class with you. Like I would love to learn from you. So actually, uh, in the upcoming semester, uh, so we have the first in-person semester since COVID, starting end of April, uh, and uh, I'm going to offer a reverse engineering lab for the first time. So people can also, like, they can pick a target and then analyze how it works. So in a black box manner, like, even if you don't have to source code, like, you just take anything and then you try to... I don't know, instrumented, find bugs in it, a bit more guided in the lab. So I would like tell them what is legal to reverse engineer, what not, then a bit like how, how Ghidra works, how Frida works. Um, and then also like how to even look for bugs a bit. So that's that's the guided part. And I really look forward to this. So finally, some, some teaching like with real students, like in person and just that you don't, where do I share the screen button, this and that, but like actually, like this is my laptop look at this weird stuff that we just did oh, that's <laughs> um, awesome. yeah so we have one last kind of advice question um, for maybe any students that are really interested in cyber that live in germany and want to go to school in germany what are the really well-known schools for like computer science or cyber um like in my opinion as a somebody outside of Germany I'm like oh T Darmstadt would be so good to go to if I was like really into cyber so what other schools can you recommend there's not so many that have like a dedicated IT security program so I think Darmstadt mm -hmm. has the most diverse one so with like very different topics that you can pick but only for the master so there's no IT security bachelor you can pick a few things at the end of your bachelor that are from the master program um, but yeah, it's not really um, security bachelor. I think in Bochum, there's also a bachelor, but I would have to double check. Um, and they have a master. I think Bochum is way more towards crypto. So you have to learn more math stuff, so to say. So you can do this in Darmstadt. You can do post quantum crypto side channels. I don't know what, but you can also uh, opt to not do this and go a bit more to to applied things uh, so yeah it depends and then I think there's also Saarbrücken I also haven't like checked the precise program there uh, so I think that's the three options maybe there's yet another IT security master or bachelor meanwhile uh, yeah but I'm not sure like if if a bachelor in IT security even makes sense because security it's really about understanding systems and then understanding them even more detailed and uh, doing security without understanding computers it's a bit like i don't know five steps behind the initial yes. thing that you want to learn uh, so probably it's not so bad that there's like mainly master programs no, that's definitely actually, that's kind of funny. That's a hot take in our, I think in our industry in general, there's a lot of people like, well, should there be, should security be built into a computer science type of degree or should it be a separate thing? Mm -hmm. So I know that from my understanding, I've definitely struggled with when in my undergrad, we were talking about buffer overflows, but there was no requirement to even learn C. So it's like, oh. how am I supposed to understand a buffer overflow without understanding the concept of a buffer? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seems mm -hmm. a little backwards to me. So Definitely yeah. going back and prepping and getting that knowledge and learning like C, for example, was definitely really important before when I, I did that before I attended like Black Hoodie to then get into deeper like reverse engineering with it. So mm -hmm. I definitely like that take. I agree. I feel like the order of a curriculum is important yeah. because like 
I studied abroad, so my curriculum, like the classes I had to take weren't necessarily offered when I was going abroad, so I had to rearrange things. So I ended up taking computer networks before I took operating systems. And in networking, we were like using fork to fork threads and like fork processes, I guess. And I had no idea because I hadn't taken operating systems yet, mm-hmm. like what fork did. Yep. And so I was really confused. And me and like one of my classmates literally checked out like a book from the library for like this client server. And we just like copied this library book client server thing. And then we worked with our TA to like make it work. But I didn't really understand what was going on. I was only a sophomore, which was like my second year. So I like I was very new to see, (laughs) very new to like, and I just didn't know what was going on. And it's probably honestly why I'm like not very great at networks now. But like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's all these things that like I now know because I use it for work that makes so much more sense now that I'm actually using it. And now I know I learned it out of order. Whereas before I didn't even know. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. You're missing out on something really important. One of the interesting things that UVA does is um, they have a school dedicated to engineering and then they have a school dedicated to like arts and sciences. So if you want to get a bachelor in science, you have to go through the engineering school and a bachelor of arts, you have to go through um the the college the college of arts and sciences and most of the engineering degrees uh you have to go through the engineering school but computer science for some reason is split between both schools um even though the engineering school pays for most of it but if you get the bachelor of arts you don't have to take operating systems and you don't have to take a lot of the harder classes so it's kind of like a backdoor uh way to get a CS degree without having to do some of the hardware. Like you still have to take most of the classes and learn new languages, but you don't have to learn a lot of like the lower level stuff, I would say. And it's very interesting to compare like, yeah, okay. We have, we have basically the same degree, but we had to take completely different classes to get it. So it's kind of interesting. All right. Well, this has been a really fun interview. And I mean, that sincerely, I don't, Sometimes Rebecca thinks I sound fake. No, you did. Um, you did sound fake. <laughs> this has been this has been a really great interview. We were all really excited for this. Um, so now we're gonna get into our fun questions. And to kick us off, who's one person we should follow on Infosec social media? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I I read the questions like a few minutes before, and I was like, mm-hmm. hmm, who could that be? So of course my unicorn, but it's not too much. Infosec, uh, but it's yes, social media. That's perfect. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. I love that. Yeah. I'm gonna put the answers in here. Thank you. Yeah. I have to remember. Maybe maybe you. also one thing, like if you're new to Infosec and you don't know who to follow, like you can always check out like some of the large accounts that have a lot of followers. They don't usually follow many people back. So you just like yeah. check who they are following, um, rather than uh trying to find that on your own. So yeah, or like who people interact with on social media. That's my recommendation if you want to build up a, a huge list of who to follow. Definitely. That's great. I know this one, this might be a hard question to answer, but just kind of give us it, one of the best. So what is one of the best technical skills that really helped you in your career? Maybe not technical, but like not giving up early. So I think mm. security Ooh. and reverse engineering, that's really stuff. Uh, sometimes you stare onto something for, I don't know, a week or like even a month and just not saying like, Ooh, I will never be able to do this or so, but just continuing. Yeah. I mean like perseverance or we like to call it like grit, having grit. Yeah. I love that. That's really good. Um, I know you said that you don't watch a lot of TV. Do you have a favorite book or TV show that you would recommend to listeners? But that's really a tough one, exactly because of this. I don't know. Um, like, yeah, I I don't really have a, a good TV show or so to recommend. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's been a while since I watched Netflix. Like, I recently saw The Mandalorian, like, finally, but mm-hmm. <laughs> probably much yeah, later that's than a good most one. people. <laughs> yeah do you have a favorite book or even if you don't have a favorite book like a favorite activity because i know you do so much more 
then melt your brain with yeah. TV. <laughs> so I think I, I read a lot uh, when I was younger. So I was mostly reading fantasy books. I think that's but that's like mm. all German. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not oh. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have, I have a, a bunch of books in that direction. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's fair. fair. Now I want to reactivate my Disney Plus. Um, so I can watch The Mandalorian because I, I only had it like free for a year and then I didn't. Uh, I never watched that. Yeah. It's, actually, it's actually pretty good. I, rec- I recommend. I've watched like all of Netflix, but there's a few things I haven't watched yet. Well, so um, what is your favorite reverse engineering tool? Yeah, so probably Frida. So I think it's like that's the one that I will be mainly using in the reversing course. And I love that Gitra is also available for everyone. I'm still a bit more into Ida. <laughs> I don't know. And probably Binary Ninja is like very affordable and getting better. But yeah, I, it's probably just like a, a personal choice. Probably you start with something, you get familiar with that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like you learn Vim bindings yeah. and then you know how to use Vim and then you think it's the best editor. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yes, it, it's like a whole cult following. Yeah, that I that I am yeah. also a part of. We we so. love Frida. We love Vin. We love Vin here. <laughs> so, as you're such a prolific cook, what is your like favorite recipe that you make? Not sure if there's a favorite recipe. So sometimes, so especially because I know how to cook, I really like to to troll Italian people. Like I don't know, putting <gasps> cream in carbonara or something, and I'm just like taking pictures of this. or like taking something that is labeled rice bowl but just putting pasta in a rice bowl oh you like okay yeah that's so funny (laughs) i like they call it fusion italian fusion (laughs) are you not allowed i'm a bad italian my family is super italian i'm a bad italian i guess because i didn't know you couldn't put cream in carbonara i love like blush sauce that's my favorite Carbonara is only supposed to have eggs, cheese, and oh. like pasta water, mm-hmm. really, right? Like, and then seasoning. But yeah, cream is. Uh, That's funny. I'm terrible at cooking. Get, get on TikTok, <laughs> no. Christine. Oh, yeah. Get on no. TikTok, and they'll they'll set you straight. I, yeah, I don't use. That's the only thing I don't use TikTok. I feel like you could have a whole TikTok series just go on like trolling Ooh, people probably. with with different food choices. But you would probably get a lot of hate for it, too. A lot of laugh and a lot of hate because people can be mean. So So kind of going off of that, it seems like you travel a lot. You know a lot about different foods and things. What's your favorite place to travel or your favorite place that you have been? That depends a lot on, yeah, I don't know. I've been to so many places, so it's actually a a tough one. So Mm -hmm. in summer, what I would recommend is like, or Scandinavia, like I, I love Finland, Norway, just like if you oh. if you like nature, if you like mm-hmm. cities, then I really liked uh, South Korea and I also like Canada. So I don't know, it, it just, it depends. Oh, I studied abroad in South Korea. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, I love it there. We should go to a, a conference there. Well, actually, we got a paper accepted last year at uh, WPS or WPES. I guess the workshop mm-hmm. and that was technically in Korea, but it was remote. Yeah. So no one got to go. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. If you do a PhD, you can, That's you can a travel a lot. Uh, if it's not COVID. Yeah. If it's not COVID. Yeah. All right. So I don't know if this question applies to you, but I wanted to ask it. Do you have any like must have makeup or skincare items? I always notice you have really nice skin, very nice skin. And I'm like, what does she do? <laughs> What's her regimen? <laughs> Not not much. So uh, usually, so I'm I'm really sensitive to sun. So I'm actually sunscreen, and I have yes, that's my favorite. <laughs> Me too. Yes, I, and I have I have like one that I I got in I think when I traveled to Miami, which like goes to up to one hundred ten, and it's Whoa. hard to get in Europe. Yeah, but then oh. and I don't have to apply it like super thick. So I don't yeah, know. that's so great. I really get sunburned fast. Yeah, you're definitely fair skin. Yeah, same here. I went on my honeymoon in December to uh, St. Lucia in the Caribbean, and I packed four bottles of sunscreen, and like five days in was out, and was like, oh no, I just oh, had to no. sit in the shade for the last two days. 
So I usually just buy, when I go somewhere, I buy aloe, like a bottle of aloe, because I know I will get sunburned, and then I put that on to fix it. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't help. So for me, it's like my, my skin is then, I don't know, like it starts peeling after like a week yeah. or so. And I yeah, so I cannot put like just some, some sun care. Like afterwards, I have to apply sunscreen before. So I've seen it on social media. I saw you drinking it earlier. What's the deal with Club Mate? It has caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like coffee that much. So I think it mostly tastes bitter. I mean, it depends on, on the coffee, but like, I mean, a good coffee also does not just taste bitter, but uh, yeah, most coffee just does that. And on the other hand, like, I mean, if you're doing a PhD, you have a lot of stress, you yeah. <laughs> stay up at night and then you start drinking something with caffeine and then you get addicted <laughs> yeah do you know how many uh milligrams of caffeine is in it i think 20 milligrams per 100 milliliter okay so yeah wow is it like a, a hacker thing or is it just like is it a german thing can i we get that in the u.s or what's what is it? i mean there's definitely there's definitely like mate tea i've had before it's, it's i think it's like a tea mm-hmm. So yeah. it's definitely available in the U.S., but Club Mate is itself, I'm not sure. I think the tea is from Argentina or so. Yeah. But uh, oh. then the, the soft drink uh, is manufactured in Germany. So it's a very German thing and it really started in the hacker culture. So I guess every uh, CCC event, every hacker space, you can get it. Got it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's different variations. So it's not just the factory like of Club Mate, but there's other factories around that do different types of Mate soft drink. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we have um one last fun, fun question. I don't know. Um, So when I first heard your name, I think the person who introduced you messed up and they <laughs> called you Jiska instead of Yiska. So for like years... I was calling you Jiska. And then when we had that meeting with your research team and my research team, your um like one of the research leads pronounced it Yiska. And I was like, oh, oh no, I've been saying it wrong. And then I was like, do you get annoyed when people call you Jiska instead of Yiska? Because people mess up my name. They call me Christina yeah. instead of Christine. And I definitely get annoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it depends. So I think in the US, most people call me Jiska, just like the J, you wouldn't say like Jiska there. Yep. Um, and I got really used to it. So yeah, I don't know. So in, in Germany, if something starts with a J, we, we pronounce it Jiska. But uh, so that's probably the, the difference here. So I don't get offended or something. It's just like, I, I know like, okay, people from the US will, will tell like call me like this so yeah well i'm not gonna mess up your name anymore now that i know how to say yeah Yeah, i felt bad i was like oh no i've been saying it wrong this whole time not really wrong just like all other americans and i react to both of this so it's like a wild card so to say like something sounding like this i just react to it oh yeah i just i answer to christina so if you did call me that i would answer but yeah i would (laughs) I'd probably be, um, I like low-key get mad. I don't get mad, but in my head, I'm like, they don't know my oh, name. No. Drama. <laughs> I've had people add a T to the end of my name. So they call me mm. Laurent. Interesting. It's like, why? Or do they call you like Laura? Uh, yeah, I get that too. I get Laura. Or like, I don't care, but technically like Lauren is the right way to pronounce it versus Lauren. It's like. But I knew some people who had the same name who would get mad if it was pronounced incorrectly. It's Lauren, not Lauren. Yeah, but it's such a, like, that is such a small distinction. I do not care. But one of my friend's moms growing up, uh, she'd be like, I named you Laura, not Laura. Yeah. Like, get it right. People just call me Becca sometimes. They'll, they'll give me a nickname yeah. that I didn't ask for, but. Becca. Mm-hmm. Becky. Becky. It's, it's, yeah. It's, okay. I call her Becky with the good hair. Bex. I don't have that great of hair either. It's yes, you do. You have great hair. I just don't do anything with it. It's just in a bun. But but when yeah. it when you wear it down, it looks so nice. Thank you. I love your hair. Thank it's you. So like long and pretty. Yeah, I think here in video we just don't really see much of. Each yeah, you other. can't see it. It's just the... like yeah. Yeah, I know. When we all got on, 
I was like, oh, we all have our hair pulled back, which makes sense because we oh, got yeah. the headphones on. I, just, but, I always put my hair in a ponytail. Yeah. It's like the weekend. It's only if I'm like going out to dinner that I'm like, oh, I want to like look different. Mm-hmm. That's how I know when it's time to get a haircut is if I can't comfortably pull it yeah. away from my face and it gets too heavy. I'm like, all right, got to get my haircut. <laughs> well, this has been so great. I really enjoyed this. This is my new favorite interview. Every, yeah, every new one. It's always the best one. Yeah, but thank you yeah. so much for taking yeah. the time to do this with us. Yeah, thank you too. So if you like this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us five stars, one for each of our lovely hosts. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Her Hacks Podcast. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover on the pod, send an email to hello at herhackspodcast.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at herhackspodcast.com. What was it? Questions? Fun. Yeah, I, I did fun questions. It could be. Fun questions. Yeah. All right. Fun questions. Because it's fun. Okay. Woo. Yeah, so fun. I'm surprised my dog hasn't been barking. Normally she's like a psycho. Whoa, whoa, whoa.